0: Uh, good morning, or good late morning, early afternoon, whatever you want to call it. Uh, my name is Chuck. You might know me from American Idol. I uh, have a... <laughs> no, I don't know if you saw it, but anyways, there's somebody that has works there and got my wife and I seats, so on one side of Simon's head you saw my face, and on the other side you saw Barbara's face, my wife. Uh, that was kind of fun. We didn't know we were going to sit there, but that was anyway, that was fun. Hey, how many of you looked at the... Uh, title on your bulletin when you walked in. And how many of you went, oh, (laughs) yeah. Let me ask you a question. Honestly, uh, how many of you have been around church for 10 or more years and have never heard of this subject talked about in church? Wow, not that, well, that's probably the fewest that we've had. How about five or more years and never talked about in church? Less people? That doesn't make sense. Uh, okay, well, since we're lacking participation today, we'll end there with that. How's that? Uh, well, here, here's the deal. Um, it's not a topic that we talk about most of the time, and that's why we're talking about it. Uh, with all these questions coming into the church, that uh, different things about Scripture, God, Christ, um, who we are as God's people, whatever the questions have been that you have written, uh, we had a few about homosexuality, anywhere from... Um, is, are, is someone born a homosexual or how do, you, to, how do I minister to this person? And so kind of everywhere in between. And So we're not gonna, I'm not going to go through each question individually, but I think over the course of this message, it will pretty much answer those questions um, for the most part. Uh, let me explain to you where I'm coming from with this. Um, my first encounter with homosexual, homosexuality is I, I've never struggled with it in my life. Um, but my first encounter was, when I was a freshman in high school, I worked at a restaurant that I was at um, after school one day working, and an old a waiter, a man that was a waiter, made a pass at another minor um, there while I was there. And um, that was interesting for me. I, it was a new concept, I, I not that I didn't ever hear of homosexuality before, or, or even uh, molestation or whatever, of course you heard those things, but... That was interesting. That was kind of my first encounter that kind of got me thinking about it. My senior year in high school, I was uh, renting a room for my wrestling coach and all of a sudden uh, that had coached me from sixth grade all the way through my senior year and and all of a sudden on the front pages of the newspaper it's out, he's a homosexual. I had no idea. It blew me away. A few years later I had a friend that I, I went to high school with. He went to Moody Bible College. Graduated from Moody Bible College. And all of a sudden one day we get a mass email to all his friends and family and um, saying that he's fought this long enough and now he's going to live a full-blown gay lifestyle. And he's sick of this and he's sick of that and he's tired and he's just going for it. Five years ago, I'm, I was here um, and a guy that had mentored me for a year and a half, been in ministry for over 30 years, all of a sudden comes out, he struggles with homosexuality. Falls out of ministry, everything. Well, at that point in my life, I, I thought oh, I was just blowing me away. All these things, and and I, of course, in your mind, you put it all together, and you kind of it's a big issue. And I thought, I wonder how many other people in the church really struggle with this issue, but just never come out. Stay in the quote unquote closet. Well, I taught on it in our college ministry. I addressed the issue, and I, I don't remember if it was eight or nine guys, but. Eight or nine guys talked to me afterwards. And I began to walk with them. I was blown away. It wasn't like we had hundreds of college students in our ministry at the time. It wasn't... I was blown away. And ever since then, I've talked about it once a year, or had somebody come in and share a testimony on it, at least once a year in our college ministry. I've taught on it at Christian colleges and different things, and every single time people come out... uh, and so my experience, uh, my, my message to you today is based out of my limited experience, um, I confess that, over five years, walking with dozens of guys in our church. Um, some of them, some people are probably here today, I, I don't know. Um, I know that there's been here throughout every service, there's been people that I've walked with. And so the things that I want to, I want to talk to you about tonight is, is try to give you some insight, first of all, into this issue and problem of homosexuality, and then also the issue and problem of how we as a church address it. You see, I'm going to make a disclaimer here, okay, before we start, that Cornerstone Community Church, as Cornerstone Community Church, we believe that the actions of homosexuality are in fact biblically a sin. There's just no way of getting around it. We just can't justify it any other way. It's just biblically it's wrong. It's a sinful action. Uh, so that's where we stand. But I would say to you that we also would say this as Cornerstone Community Church. many of Much of the ways that we as Christians address it and maybe even react to the issue of homosexuality is also sin.
1: We often respond in
0: condemnation and in uh, and, and cruel ways. And so today I want to I want to try to give you a little bit of insight from these guys that I've been walking with over the last five years. I've spent a lot of time with people this week on phone, email, coffee, whatever, talking to them about making sure that I wasn't improperly uh, representing them in their issues, in their core issues. Um, so I want to give you some insight into that. Most of the time when we hear about uh, homosexuality, it's usually mentioned out of a list, out of 1 Corinthians 6 or 1 Timothy chapter 1. And it's mentioned in the list with adulterers, idolaters, thieves, so on and so forth. And that's about the extent that we talk about it. Well, the first thing I want to talk to you about is this. Is that in these two passages, we see the actions of theft and the action of idolatry and the action of adultery We also know that biblically, if you think of another woman lustfully, then you've committed adultery. But these actions of these things, including actions of homosexuality, is in fact a sin. But it's the homosexual offender, the actor upon those things, that are a sin. I'll give you this illustration. I walk into a store, and I confess to you I've had this thought before, and you might think I'm weird, but that's okay. I I, I walk into a store, and um, have you ever done this? You look at something and kind of go, I wonder how I could steal that. You ever thought that? I wonder how I, could, wonder how I could steal that. Well, if I don't steal it, I didn't sin, right? But it might be kind of weird. I'm like, why did I think that? That was weird. I don't even know why that came to my mind. Well, I didn't act upon it. So I'm not a thief. I just had a weird thought. Um, the same thing with homosexuality. Unless it's in a lustful way, you see these these times. I'm going to be using illustrations with guys, okay? And here's why: Um, I have never worked with um, uh, a female that struggled with homosexuality. I don't know this my place, Um, and and to me, it seems that female homosexuality issues seem very complex, kind of like every other female issue. Uh, (laughs) uh, You laugh because it's true. but it's, uh, it's really complex. So the illustrations, forgive me, um, will be from guys I've talked to. But I do believe that many of the issues do overlap into both male and female homosexual issues. Um, so with that understanding, just the, the actions is, in fact, what's helpful. Um, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about it. One of the myths about homosexuality is that it's a sexual issue. Homosexuality is not a sexual issue. It's not. Sometimes it's played out and carried out in that way, but it's not the core of it is not a sexual issue. In fact, I would say to you that homosexuality, the core issues are the very same issues that you and I have. They just play out different for a number of different reasons. The the major issue, core issue, one of I'm going to list out 3 of them, but One of the major core issues that is involved with every guy that I've walked with, to some degree, some greater than others, is the huge sense of shame and rejection. For some reason, somehow, the people that struggle with homosexuality, in their life they've had a great deal of shame and a huge amount of rejection, from maybe their parents, their father, uh, friends, other kids at school, whatever it is, they've been rejected a lot, for a number of different reasons. I'll walk through that in a little bit. The second thing is this: is a huge amount of envy and coveting. Uh, You see, somebody that that struggles with homosexuality, and this is pretty much across the board with every guy that I've walked with through this and continue to walk with through this issue, is this: is that I'm going to give you I'm going to give you an equation. It's this disposition plus circumstances can equal homosexual tendencies or problems. Let me walk through this. Somebody's born with a disposition, a, a guy, that's, a boy that's born with a disposition that's not that athletic, doesn't even like sports, maybe a little bit more feminine and some characteristics about him. Every, and, and, and that's kind of his disposition. Maybe he's more emotional than most boys. That's the disposition. Circumstances. Maybe at school, the boys call him fag or faggot because he doesn't like sports. Maybe his dad never affirms any masculine features about him. In fact, calls him a wussy because he doesn't like sports. I don't know, all these different circumstances that might happen. Maybe he's molested. Pretty much every single guy that I've walked with, either one of two things, if not both, have been involved. Either a strong issue with their father of neglect, emotional abuse, whatever it is, or molestation. Either one or both of those is pretty much in every single issue. And I'm not saying it isn't every issue, just what all the guys I've walked with it is. So their disposition is one way, and then all these circumstances can happen, may happen to their life, and then that can't equal a homosexual tendency. And here's why. It plays out in envy. Here's what happens. They begin to envy other masculine men or boys. Boys that are more um, athletic, um, stronger, more buff, uh, whatever it is, more characteristic the masculine characteristics that, that other men have that they don't have, they begin to envy it, and they covet it, and it becomes an attraction. Not just sexual, but out of envy and coveting. You and I have the same issue of envy and coveting. It just might not be with the same sex. It might be with other people that have more things, that have uh, this or that. It might even be people, if you're single, you might, have, you might covet and envy people that are married. It's the same core issue. It just plays out different because maybe their disposition is different and maybe their circumstances are different than yours and it plays out different. Do you follow me? Does that make sense? Pretty much every guy that I walked with, this is the case. Every, the question is, is well, are they born with it? Are they born a homosexual? Every single man that I have talked to that's a believer that struggles with this and that fights this in their life every single one says no, I wasn't born this way but I didn't choose it either it was my some things about my disposition some things about my characteristics that twisted my thought process and it's, it's warped it and now I have this and now I struggle with this all the time pretty much in every single case that's, that's it it's not a sexual issue Sometimes it plays out that way. So so you have this idea of shame and rejection because they've been rejected their entire lives, and so they long for affirmation from other men. They long to be affirmed as a man in some form. And and a lot of them point back to their father. My father never affirmed any masculine thing. He's always made fun of me, whatever the case is. Um, A lot of them point to kids at school, whatever the case is. And then you have this idea of envy, and you have this idea, thirdly, of identity. See, I'm going to go back to the store for a second. If I'm in the store and I think about stealing something, but I don't, I don't leave thinking, I'm a thief. Am I a thief? Why would I think about that? I'm a thief. Am I a thief? I don't have an identity crisis. But, if another person of the same gender as I do, walk, as I am walk by and I'm attracted to them, am I a homosexual? Why would I have that thought? I have an identity crisis. Major identity crisis. Do you see the difference? And and then then it becomes the serious identity issue for them. But here's what I would say to you. You have the same thing. You have the same identity crisis. Many of us just find our identity in what we do as an occupation, though. We find a huge sense of our identity in what we do in life. It's an identity crisis. We don't recognize ourselves as a child of God who happens to practice law. We don't identify ourselves as a child of God who happens to struggle with anger. We identify ourselves in all of these things that we do. I'm an angry person. I'm a lawyer. I'm this. I'm a doctor. I'm, I'm a sales clerk. I'm, I'm this. I'm that. We have identity crisis too. Well, for them, it just plays out differently. It's the same core issues. That's what I'm trying to say to you. Same core issues. just plays out differently. Not sexual. It doesn't start off sexual. Um, some of the guys I've talked to have said that uh, they 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 want what other men have, but they can't have it. But they can be affirmed through sexual things. Maybe not maybe physical sex, but they can be affirmed in this way. It, it's it's an issue of affirmation. It's an issue issue of not being rejected. It's an issue of being accepted as a man. Uh, that's the core issues. It's been. Warped in some ways. But the issues are the same. Shame, rejection. You have those in some senses. You have a sense of envy and coveting. And you have an identity issue. The only thing is, is that your disposition might be different. Your circumstances might have been different. And so the outcome of it is different. Could be different. So I hope that that gives you a little bit of insight into it. Into the struggle of this. And again, we, biblically, we stand on it. It's the act, acting out on this way is, is biblically a sin. Um, but a person that struggles with this... See, for, for us guys, if we see a girl walking by, we kind of go, oh, can't look that way. And you don't look. Did you sin? Possibly. Maybe not, though. Maybe just God protected you and He gave you the boldness and the the willpower to to, to withstand from lusting. Well, most guys that struggle with this this issue, most of them go a lot of days without sinning. They have to fight it like that. For whatever reason, they're attracted to the same sex, but they fight it. A lot of guys in our church that struggle with this, but most of them are... Do really well, in fact, better than us guys do with other women. But, but we, our perception of it is different. See, if I go to accountability and I tell, I go to accountability every Monday morning. I say, man, this I was at Starbucks or um, and bought a seventeen dollar cup of coffee and and I I was sitting there and this lady walked in and uh, and I man I just I, I actually wanted to look but I didn't look but I just need to confess to you that I wanted to look i kind of be affirmed in that. But let's say I go to accountability and I say, you know what? The weirdest thing happened. I was in Starbucks, bought a $17 cup of coffee, and a guy walked in and I was attracted to him. But I didn't look at him because I thought, wow, that's weird. They'd be like, whoa. It's really weird. Well, I, and because of that, there's this tension that people feel especially in the church of being honest about their struggle because the reality is is that most of the time the church has responded with condemnation not receptive to a person that knows it's wrong wants to honor God with their life but still has a struggle you see most of the time we wouldn't condemn them up in their face because we don't have the guts to do that but really we condemn them by our actions and this is the way it typically plays out somebody comes to you because they think that they can trust you and they share this struggle with you and slowly but surely you slowly spend less and less and less time with them you just condemned them you just rejected them one of their biggest issues you just rejected them and a lot of times we as a church respond to that so if you have your Bibles open up to John chapter
1: 8
0: I want to talk to you about this, this issue of how do we address it as a church. And, um, and I, want to, I want to make a statement to you and, and let you know something about this. Most guys, in fact, most guys that I walk with have cried out to God hundreds if not thousands of times to take it away. It's not like they want it or desire it. They've cried out to God hundreds if not thousands of times to take it away. And why doesn't God take it away? I don't have a clue. I'm not God. I I just know that this, is the one thing I try to encourage them in is this, is that I understand one thing. It's like a Job issue in many ways. That when I know the deepest pains that I have and the sin that I, I struggle with, and you're the same, those are the things that God uses to draw me back to Him. You can call it unfair if you want, but He's God and you're not. And so... The issue is, is that th- I don't know why. I can't answer that. I'm not God. But for some reason, He doesn't take it away from some people. There's some people that He does. I just talked to a couple of guys this week that have struggled with this for almost their whole life, and now they're married and have kids and come to our church. Complete freedom. Complete victory over it. But the issue is, is, is this condemnation. So look at, look at John chapter 8 with me. I think it's just a good illustration. Jesus just finished talking to some Jewish leaders. And uh, all of them go to their, their own homes. And verse 1 of chapter 8 says, "...but Jesus went to the Mount Olives. At dawn He appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around Him, and He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, "'Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery.'" In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. So here's the situation. Jesus goes into this place, some people gather around, and he sits down and he wants to teach them. Well, the Pharisees come in with this woman who has been caught supposedly in the act of adultery, and they bring her in, they stand her and he says, What do you say, Jesus? You see, they're trying to trick him, because in the law, in Moses, that Moses wrote in the law, it says that such persons should be stoned. But it's a trick, because if he says, no, don't stone her, he's disobeying that law. But if he says, yes, stone her, he's disobeying Roman law, because Roman law didn't permit such an action to be penalized with, that, with stoning. So he's kind of, in their minds, he's stuck, right? We know that Jesus isn't stuck. So what Jesus does is he bends down and he starts writing in the, in the, in the sand. Now, some people try to make up what he wrote. I, he doesn't say what he wrote, so we're not going to make up anything. He just scribbles. So, here's what happens. He, he says this, verse 7. Then they kept on questioning him. He straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. So here's what happens. Jesus stoops down, and he's riding in the sand. And and they keep questioning him. They keep hassling him. They keep just drilling him. And he stands up, and he says, Hey, if you don't have any sin, you prideful, arrogant, Grace stealing jerk. I added that part. You cast the first stone. I really believe that's kind of the tone that he's talking in, though. Hey, if you don't have any sin, then you cast it. Let the person here that has no sin, you cast the stone. You see, what Jesus did is, he says, he says, look. I mean, really, the ultimate thing is, is that he recognizes that they don't have any love and concern for this individual. There's zero. It's filled with pride and arrogance. And they're trying to... Uh, they, ha- they do actually what we do. We have a-, a tremendous ability to see the splinter in everybody else's eye but forget the plank in our own. We have that. Same thing. And what Jesus does, he says, Hey, look. look here's a mirror. Look at your own sin." You're condemning her for her sin, but what about you? Remember, it's condemning. Not confronting, but condemning. We're called to confront one another in love, even though we are sinners. But the issue is not confronting, the issue is condemning. He says, you're condemning this person, but look at your own sin. See, they had this arrogance about them that It's kind of like we do when we come to church and you ever think like, oh man, that would be great for so-and-so to hear. I wish they were here. You ever had that thought? I have. Wow, I wish so-and-so was here. Some of that's pure. Some of that's great motive. Some of that's just a love and concern for that individual. Some of it, though, is the strong ability to see the splinter in somebody else's eye and forget the plank in ours. Oh, that's great for them. Oh, I wish they were here. Oh, i got to get this tape for them. Well, yeah. Well, what about you? What about me? It's that same ability. This is the same same core issue as those thoughts in our minds. Some of it's pure, don't get me wrong, but some of it's not. Some of it's a lack of ability and pride and arrogance that has deceived us in seeing our own sin. And and that's the same core issue as these people. We, we, we like to look at the Pharisees and go, Man, they really missed it, didn't they? I really believe the church is missing. I believe you and I miss it every day. So, he, he what, what's funny though, he says, you who cast, a, you know, I have no sin, you cast the first stone. And then it says, I didn't write it, it says, the older ones left first. And and let me just stop here just for a second. I'm a I'm a 30 year old man who's married and has a three and a half month old daughter who kept me up all lot, night last night. Uh, God bless her. Uh, and I gotta be honest with you. I, I'm a, I'm a pastor in the church, and I, I serve here on a daily basis. And I, just, I honestly wish that we had more older men here that were leading. Can I just be honest for a second? Like, I just, I really, I really wish we had more older men. Much more, more of you older men would be leading with humility in this, um, in life, in, in grace, and in teaching more. I we just I mean we have some. We have the elders, I respect them a ton. Um I just wish that there was more. Because in this I think that the same thing is notice the oldest ones left first and the younger ones followed. The older ones recognized, man, that's a great point. And they led with humility and they left. And the younger ones followed them. And I, I just I just wish that we had more older men, more mature in their faith, that have walked with the Lord, maybe as long as I've been alive, leading and teaching in our church. We would follow you. We would follow you. Verse 10 says this, Jesus straightened up, after they all left, Jesus straightened up and asked her, women, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. You see, here's an issue I want to bring out to you, is that Jesus doesn't condemn her, but He didn't condone her actions either. Do you see that? You see, a lot of times we get this confused, especially with homosexuality. We're afraid that if we don't hit this judgmentally and condemningly, then it's going to be viewed as we're condoning it or we're even for it. And we have a fear of not being able to stand firm in this and that. But see, the issue is not confronting. The issue is condemning. Jesus doesn't condemn her, but He doesn't condone her actions either. He says, go and leave your life of sin. I will embrace you as you come to me. But I don't condone the lifestyle. But I'm not going to condemn you. Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Zero. No condemnation. Nothing. You are free. No matter what your sin issue is. If you're in Christ, you're a Christian, you're a true believer. There is no condemnation. The problem is is that the church constantly condemns people because of their sin, and especially with this issue. It's not a safe place. And I just want to say to you today, look, this is a safe place. This will be a safe place. We're on a mission to make this a safe place. There are safe people sitting around you. There are safe people every single service on the prayer room that are committed to embracing you as Christ embraces you and has embraced them. It's a safe place. Honestly, I don't blame people that struggle with homosexuality for staying in the closet. Quote, unquote. Because they've been burned. They've been rejected their whole life and no wonder why they're afraid to bring it out because most of the time, the church rejects them, too. The church condemns them. We have a misrepresentation of what it is, and we condemn them for it. So let me give you i I'm going to list out four things for you. You can write them down, throw it away, whatever you want. But I'm going to give them to you anyway. When you're dealing with somebody, and here, here's just some thoughts that I've learned over the last five years with these people that I've walked with. Um... It's first of all, to help you in this. First of all, recognize and know that it's not a sexual issue. It's the same core issues that you have. See, let, let, let me just ask you to do something really fast. In your mind, I'm going to give you a couple seconds. Think of like a major sin issue that you have. Just something you struggle with on a daily basis. Jealousy, envy, anger, whatever it is. Just think about it. got it? Okay, on the front of your mind, let me ask you a question. Have you ever condemned somebody for that same issue? Most likely you have. Most likely you have. You see, recognize this is not a sexual issue. It's really the same issue you have. It helps you in embracing them. You're not condoning the lifestyle, but you don't condemn them either. N- number two, affirm them. I, you know, just this week, I had a guy talk to me, and he says, "An affirmation is so big." My friend and mentor, uh, he he says he says, And Chuck, it's it's the grace givers, it's the that keep me going on. It's the people that affirm me and encourage me on, that keep me from." keep me strong and keep me from going back. Affirm them. I had a guy tell me this week, touch is really key for me. Not in weird ways. He's saying, he's saying, touch is so key for me. He says, when people that know, guys that know that I struggle with this issue and yet hug me anyway when they see me, he says, that means the world to me. He says, they're just embracing me like they do every other guy in the world. He says, that means the world to me. Affirm them. Encourage them. Don't tear them down. Don't condemn them. You build them up. That's what the body of Christ does. Ephesians chapter 4. You build them up. You encourage them. Affirm them. Don't touch them any different. If you're you're a hugger, then don't just stick out your hand and shake them. Hug them too. It's not a sexual issue. It's okay. It's okay third thing is this. Watch your jokes and your comments. I have uh, i got to tell you, you know, I've had four circumstances, situations that stick out in my mind like nothing else of where I was with a guy that struggles, and we're in a room, and jokes or comments were made. And I'm telling you, if you would see the pain on their face. You have no idea what that does. It's so damaging. And I know it's not malicious in some ways, but to them, it's extremely damaging. Be very, very careful about that. There's jokes and comments. Watch, you know, talking in more of a feminine voice to to make fun of some situation. Stop making statements like, that's gay. Watch that. You have no idea how much pain you can see on a person's face. Just be careful. Fourth is this. Remember your own sin. You see, when you remember your own sin issues, in fact, Many of it's the same issue as somebody that struggles with homosexuality. Envy, shame, rejection, fear of rejection, identity crisis. If you remember those things, you're going to respond with much more grace than you ever would before. And so constantly remember your own sin. Constantly remember your own sin. It's so key. You know... With this issue, again, it's it's highly sensitive and it's highly emotional and in many ways highly controversial. And I honestly, I have no idea what kind of emails or phone calls I'm going to get this week. But I just know that biblically we respond wrong. We think of it as different. We condemn it. And really it's out of our own pride and arrogance of not seeing our own sin. And so I would ask you just to, to think through that. And maybe even just think through just for a second, I mean, what are the own issues in your own life that you forget to see on a weekly basis? And as you remember that, you've got to re- as you remember those things, I want you to remember one thing. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul in Romans chapter 7 he talks about what a wretched person he is. He re- he recognizes the sin inside of him. And he separates himself. He says that's the sin in me that causes war in my members. He doesn't identify himself in the sin. He separates himself from that. He says I'm a child of God, a child of God with a sinful nature that causes war against me, but it's the sin acting out, it's not me. Because I realize that there's no condemnation in, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Chapter 8, verse 1, right after that whole section. You might want to read that this week. Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 25. Read it. But to think about your own sin is so key in this. And so, on that note, I'll, I just I'll ask you to close your Bible, sit down your notes, take a deep breath, and I want you to see this video. Uh, so just sit back and relax and... Uh, watch.
1: kitchen table we have this metal tin bowl receptacle thing where we keep all those things that don't seem to go anywhere else do you have one of these places in your house it's maybe a shelf or a drawer it's that place where you put all all those all those possessions that are just have no almost where they end up and so at any one time you know it's got like a shoelace it has got a key to you have no idea what and you know maybe some rubber cement and a stick of dynamite or something i don't know so anyway a few days ago my uh my wife Kristen and I were cleaning up the kitchen, we're picking things up and, and I noticed this little white ball in the metal bowl and I'm struck with the fact that I've never seen it before. And so I turn to Kristen and I say, like, Hey, wh- where'd this white ball come from? Where'd you get it? She says, I have no idea, I've never seen it before. And our boys are over here, so I was like, Hey you guys, where'd this uh where'd this white ball come from? I haven't seen it before And and the one son, my younger son, he says, What? Well, I, I don't know, I've never seen it. And my older son says, it's just the strangest thing. I don't know. I don't know where it came from. Do you know where it came from? And then he, like, keeps going in the same voice. He's he's like, it's just the strangest thing. I mean, this little white ball, it appeared out of nowhere. Who knows where it came from? And Kristen and I look at each other, and, and we have this look between us like do you know who this boy is? I mean, for a few brief moments, he's some other kid, and he just keeps going with these bizarre gestures. It's like he's been possessed by the spirit of Urkel or something. I mean, for a few brief moments, he's this other boy. You know, I don't know. I don't know where it came from. But I mean, it's just like a, you know, it's just a little white ball, and it's, Kristen and I look at each other like, it's just not that big of a deal. So a couple of days later, my wife is home with the boys, and she's in one room, and they're playing another room, and And uh, she hears this ruckus, and the two of them run into the room where she's at, and the younger son is crying, and he's insisting that his brother hit him. And my older son is going, I didn't hit him. I don't know what you're talking about. It's the strangest thing. It's the weirdest thing. I didn't hit him. And he's going on and on, and the younger one, with tears streaming down his face, is going, no, he hit me. And my older son is going, no, I don't know what you're talking about. It's the strangest thing. It's the weirdest thing. And then Kristen just says to him, kind of like you don't know where the white ball came from and he just freezes like the, the, the technical legal word here is busted you know that moment like when your junk catches up to you it's like maybe not that day, maybe not the next day, maybe not for a while but given enough time it always finds us Like there's this great phrase, wherever you go, there you are. It's written in the Bible, in the book of Galatians. Like, don't be misled. No one makes a fool out of God. Whatever we plant, we'll end up harvesting. It's like one way or another, given enough time, our sins find us out. It always catches up with us, doesn't it? So my boy stands there in front of his mom, frozen. And then he turns and runs upstairs. Sometimes it's easier to run upstairs, isn't it, than to face the truth. Now, this whole time, I haven't even been there. I'm coming home and I call Kristen and she tells me this whole story. And so I'm driving along thinking, like, what am I supposed to do when I get home? I mean, I know I should do something, but I have no idea what to do. And so I get home and Kristen tells me that she hasn't heard a sound from him upstairs the whole time. So I go upstairs. And I go check in his room, and he's not there. So I go and I check in his brother's room, and he's not there. And then I check the bathroom, and he's not there, which leaves only one option, our bedroom. And so I go, and I stand in the doorway of our bedroom, and I look in, and there, in the middle of our bed, under the covers, is a lump the size and shape of my boy and I mean at this point he's been under there at like two hours I mean it must be so hot he must be so miserable I mean can he even breathe under there I feel like I should get him a snorkel I mean he just must be miserable and I start thinking about all the amends he's gonna need to make to his mom and to his brother and to me. And then I think about whoever he took the white ball from, we're going we're gonna to have to call them and at some point go over there. He's going to need to take the white ball back and he's going to need to apologize. And, and I stand in the doorway of the bedroom and I, I think about my boy and all of his shame, the kind of shame that he would hide under the covers for that long. And so I go over and I sit down on the edge of the bed and I pull the covers back a little bit. And the first thing I see is just this soaking wet hair, you know, like he's been underwater. And so I pull the covers slowly back until he's just lying there all curled up with his eyes closed. And he doesn't move. It's like he has this choice like does he continue you know does he grab the covers and pull them back over his head and keep hiding or does he just let himself lie there totally exposed and vulnerable so I sit on the edge of the bed and I say to him there's nothing you could ever do that would make me love you less and then slowly he sits up and he opens his eyes and he plants the soaking wet head right in the middle of my formerly dry shirt and he wraps his little wet warm arms around me and he just starts sobbing and he cries and cries and cries and he's so sorry And so I sit on the edge of the bed, holding my boy with the covers pulled back, repeating, there's nothing you could ever do to make me love you less. There's nothing you could ever do. Do you realize that? Do you know that? There's nothing you could ever do that would make me love you less. I mean, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whatever you will do, I mean, God loves you and God always has, and you can't change that. Because sometimes the white ball seems like everything, doesn't it? It's like how am I ever gonna get away from it? And so we have no idea what to do with our shame. So we run upstairs and we hide under the covers, and we keep hiding because we don't we don't know where to go or what to do. Maybe you're like, yeah, but you don't understand what I've done, or you just, if you, only you knew that, like it says in the Book of Romans, chapter eight in the Bible, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God and Jesus. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you. So may you stop hiding under the covers. May you let God pull the covers back. May you embrace him. May your whole life become a response to the truth that you've always been loved, you are loved, and you always will be loved. And may you know, may you know deep in the depths of your soul that there's nothing you could ever do to make Him love you less. There's nothing you could ever do to make God love you less. Nothing you could ever do to make Him love you less. Nothing. Nothing.
0: No condemnation. I have hope because of who I am in Christ. And uh, like I mentioned to you earlier, I think I mentioned it earlier, Just I talked to two people this week that struggle with this issue and now are married and have families. There's hope. Not only in homosexuality, but any issue you have. Any sin issue you have. some Wrapped up in pornography, anger, whatever it is. Drinking, whatever it is. There's hope. You can be delivered from that. And then secondly is I'm just we are so blessed because Christ meets us where we are. I didn't have to change and become perfect. I had a you know I had a sense of repentance to me that uh, Christ met me there, and so Christ will meet you there. And as as He meets us where we are, I just pray that as we leave today, especially this week, and for the rest of our lives, that we would meet people where they are.